Good morning and welcome. My name's Craig again. I'm so glad that you decided to join with us this morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Matthew chapter 5 in just a minute. Matthew chapter 5, we are going to begin a new sermon series in the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are uh, the first part of the Sermon on the Mount. So maybe you haven't heard of the Beatitudes, maybe you've heard of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' most famous teaching, his most famous sermon. And over the next several weeks, we're going to look at each one of these Beatitudes and Throughout the course of this sermon, you're going to understand a little bit better, hopefully, if I do my job decently, what a beatitude is. So as you're turning, let me just give you a couple of things. Uh, believe it or not, Easter is around the corner. It's pretty close. There's two things I'd ask you to be doing. Number one, I'd ask you to be praying about our Easter services. Um, a lot of people show up on Easter that don't come any other time. Be praying that we'll be able to clearly communicate the gospel and that folks who are far from the Lord will come to know Christ on that Sunday morning. So please be praying with us. The second thing is you can actually help us with our Easter service. We're going to have a, um, we're trying to have a really big praise choir on Easter Sunday morning. Lots of voices uh, really helping to lead worship on that Sunday. So if you've got any interest um, in participating in our worship service on Easter Sunday, see Pastor Kevin or show up this afternoon at 5 o'clock. They'd love to have you. If you have questions, you can see him and uh, he'd be happy to answer any of those. All right. Hopefully you've made it to Matthew 5. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of God's word. We're going to be reading just the first three verses. Over the course of the next several weeks, you're going to see that each sermon is going to focus, most of them are just going to be on one, one verse. Today we're going to read three, but we're going to primarily focus on Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Seeing the crowds, he, that is Jesus, went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. That's why it's called the Sermon on the Mount, because he went up on the mountain. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that this word would be alive to us. Father, we know that it is living and active. And I pray, Lord God, that it would move here. I pray that your Holy Spirit would take up residence in this place for just a few minutes, that you would tarry with us, Father. That, Father God, you would give us the poverty of spirit necessary to truly worship you and to be changed and impacted. Move among us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Who are the poor in spirit? Let me give you a little bit of a spoiler alert. My hope and prayer is that all of you acknowledge that you are poor in spirit. Uh, when it's all said and done today, uh, I need to make certain that I've clearly communicated to you this truth. The Beatitudes are a list of of virtues that we're going to talk about in just a minute, but all of them hinge ultimately on this one, this first one. Unless we are poor in spirit, that is, unless we are willing to acknowledge our need of Jesus Christ as our Savior, unless we have that, we cannot have Jesus. Think about what virtues are. If I were to look at this group of young people, or, or maybe uh, some that aren't so young, and were to say, hey, what is it that you're looking for in a friend or in a spouse even? A lot of the virtues that you're going to mention are things like loyalty, trust, uh, honesty. You might even mention fun. Those are things that we desire in a friend. But interestingly, throughout history, at least beginning with the Greeks and Western culture, moving all the way up into the modern era, if we were to say what are a list of virtues, those lists of classical virtues were things like courage, wisdom, temperance, justice, and endurance. Those are things that we honestly don't talk that much about anymore even but when Jesus gives a list of the virtues that are necessary or at least that are expected of his followers that list of virtues is a little different 
it begins with one that nobody mentions. When I say, what are you looking for in a husband? Nobody says poor in spirit. Matter of fact, as I mentioned in the service earlier, if my daughters look at me and say, Dad, the first thing I'm looking for in a husband is poor, I'm like, well, hold on now. That is not at all because I don't want to take on two of y'all to raise, you know. I'm trying to get you out of here and get you on your own. And yet Jesus says that his followers are to be poor in spirit. That's the first thing in what we call the Beatitudes. And when I say beatitude, some of you are like, what, kind, what you got an attitude for? Well, beatitude is nothing to do with that, really. It, it comes from a Latin word, and it's translated for us as beatitude. And, and it, to best understand it, it might be to think of a beatitude as blessing, right? So Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. So the blessing that we get in this life, maybe a more full definition or translation or explanation of that word beatitude would be to say the good life. That's why we've titled this sermon series, The Good Life, a study in the Beatitudes. Jesus is showing us in these Beatitudes what the good life in Christ should look like. In other words, how it is that a citizen of heaven should live. Now, let me just clarify a few things. The Beatitudes, and, and even the more full Sermon on the Mount, is not a checklist of things that you need to do so that you could get yourself into heaven. You don't get to check the boxes and do enough things to get your way into heaven, okay? That's not the way this works. As a matter of fact, this isn't a checklist about how to get into heaven at all. Instead, this is a summary statement of what followers of Jesus should look like, right? And it begins with this very first beatitude, poor in spirit, and it begins with that first one because none of us can find ourselves in Christ's kingdom unless we have first found ourselves willing to acknowledge our need of Jesus. And so this morning when we think about what it is to be poor in spirit, who are the poor in spirit? I hope that you've already realized at some point in your life that just as Pastor Buster read this morning, that we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory, I've hoped that at some point in your life you've already acknowledged that. But if you haven't, then my goal this morning is for you to understand that unless you are willing to acknowledge your need for Jesus, you cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. If, however, you're already a follower of Jesus, then my hope this morning is that as a result of our time together in this passage of Scripture that you better understand what it looks like to live dependent upon the Lord. In other words, that you better understand what it looks like to live as a person who is spiritually poor and in desperate need of Jesus Christ. So with those things in mind this morning, I want us to see three things from this one verse that I believe are incredibly important for us as we try to understand what it is to be spiritually poor. The first thing that you need to do this morning, I want to encourage you to do, is to embrace your helplessness. Embrace your helplessness. Now, when we find ourselves in this passage of Scripture in Matthew, remember we have four Gospels. And of those four Gospels, Matthew is the one that is the most Jewish. Right? Uh, and, and so Matthew is written to a specifically Jewish audience. And so when he writes in this passage, Jesus has taught his disciples, and as Matthew helps us understand, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven here is the kingdom of God. In other words, these are God's children. In a Jewish context, those people had such a high regard 
for the name of the Lord that they often wouldn't even speak God's name. And so, listen, for some of you, you think that's a little bit nuts, but we live in a culture where people misuse God's name over and over and over again for next to no reason at all. There was such a concern among the Jews of Matthew's day that they would misuse God's name that they went a little bit too far and just didn't use God's name at all. And so, when we speak of the kingdom of heaven, this is just another way of saying God's kingdom. And so Jesus says that those who will inherit God's kingdom are those who are spiritually poor. And if you're going to get there, you've got to be willing to embrace your helplessness. You say, but Craig, how in the world do I do that? First thing, here's what you need to know. You have nothing to offer Jesus. You have nothing to offer Jesus. Now look, that really is offensive to some of you. Some of you take it against your pride. What do you mean I got nothing to offer Jesus? I'm going to give him something. What are you going to give him? This is like giving Bill Gates a present. What do you give Bill Gates? This is like giving the President of the United States more power. This is like helping Patrick Mahomes to be a better quarterback. You don't have to like him, right? But he keeps beating your team, right? He, beat all, he beats them all. Y'all, this is like buying Jeff Bezos a Christmas gift. What do you buy Jeff Bezos? He owns Amazon. Do you understand how rich and powerful Jeff Bezos is? When he orders something on Amazon Prime, it actually arrives in two days. That's how rich and powerful Jeff Bezos is. You can't give him anything. And we're speaking of the God who owns and controls everything. The God who holds even those powerful humans in the palm of his hand. What do you bring to him? Nothing. You bring your sin, your shame. And he takes all of that and he makes you into something else. He gives you everything and you bring him nothing. Martin Luther said that we bring to him our unrighteousness and he gives to us his righteousness. It's this unequal, terrible exchange that God is willing to do on his behalf. Some of you get all offended like that. Well, well Craig, you say that because of your theological convictions. Are you trying to be Calvinist in here? Some of you get all angry. Like, we need to talk about evangelism. No, we need to talk about, y'all, what we need to talk about is the truth. We are sinful, broken, and poor. And we have nothing. We are beggars coming to the feet of God and offering Him absolutely nothing. And He's giving us everything in return. We've got to embrace our helplessness. And y'all, we've got to be willing to be okay with that. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords, and we have absolutely nothing to offer. We must embrace it. But the second thing in there is we need to be willing to Choose to accept the reality of our situation. Do you, know, do you want me to explain something to you? It really doesn't matter what you think. God is God and you are not. You understand that? Like There will come a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. That day will arrive. You don't get to determine the rules. You don't get to change. I went to lunch with somebody one time. And uh, the, the check came and he reached for the check. And um, he said, I, 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 I'll cover it. I said, well, I didn't come for you to pay, pay for my lunch. He looked across the table, kind, generous, and sweet. He said, I think I'm better positioned to pay for this than you are. You know what the truth of the matter was? He was telling the truth, right? I mean, like he wasn't being a jerk. He just looked at me. He says, you got no business buying my lunch. And he was right. Right? He was 100% right. Y'all, there's a reality that we come before the Lord. We just need to be honest about what we're working with here. Now, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. But here's the reality, the truth of the situation. You choose to acknowledge your own poverty before him, but acknowledging your poverty is not what makes you poor in spirit. Like, like you already are. 
It's just a willingness to acknowledge, to agree with God about what the truth of the matter is. Y'all, how terribly sinful and shameful is it for us in our pride to sort of want to argue with the Lord? No, no, no. We need to embrace our helplessness. Acknowledge it. Lord God, I need you. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Y'all, you can't have salvation in Jesus Christ until you're willing to admit, Lord God, I am a sinner. You are my only hope as a Savior, and I need you. Embrace your helplessness. The second thing that the poor in spirit do is that they lean into Jesus. They lean into Jesus. Look, part of your spiritual poverty is actually showing your need. Part of your spiritual poverty is actually showing your need. Some of you are really good at talking to me about how needy you are on Sunday morning and then leaving after church on Sunday and forgetting for at least seven days that you actually need the Lord. Right? You're really good talking about it in life group. You might be really good talking about it. And and some of you have gotten so good at talking a good game that you've convinced everybody except the people that live in your own house. Right? So you, you leave church, but you don't actually lean into Jesus at all. You don't do anything. Look, I show my need of food by eating. You understand? I mean, that's the reality. I'm going to leave here and eat lunch today. It doesn't even matter if I want to eat lunch today. I need to eat lunch so that I have energy to get through the rest of the day. I need to lay down and go to sleep at night because I need it. Y'all, are you willing to acknowledge your need before the Lord? Part of the way that we show our need for the Lord is by leaning into Jesus. We lean into him with things like our spiritual disciplines. We lean into him with all those. And we'll talk about some of those in just a second. But but I want to give you this one little example. When we talk about leaning into Jesus, I want to point out to you that you can only lean into one thing at a time. I can lean into this wall or I can lean into that wall, but I can't lean into both of them. You understand? Some of you are spending all of your time leaning into everything else that you're looking for, for satisfaction and support, but you're not leaning into the Lord. You're leaning into your job. You're leaning into your, your social life. You're leaning into popularity. Heaven forbid you're leaning into politics and you're hoping that's going to fill some weird need and void in your life. Side note, why are politics so broken in our country right now? Because there's a whole host, millions of people who are leaning into politics, hoping that that's going to answer their deepest longings. They're putting a religious fervor in their political decisions, and they're forgetting that only God can satisfy those needs. Y'all, we're going to be let down by politicians when we're investing in them religious hopes because they cannot... Stand up to those hopes. We're asking of them something that only the Lord can give us. You've got to lean into Jesus, right? There's got to be this this dependence upon him. And we show our dependence upon the Lord by actually regularly engaging in the things of the Lord. I've got all these things that I'm going to get into just a little bit more in a minute with, with some illustrations. But... When I, I have some of these weights that I, I, I work out with and things that I lift, do you know that, that, that regular exercise for me is an acknowledge of my need for it? The, the kids have come up with a word. It was, it was crafted by weak people. Um, 
And, and the word is ego lifting. Y'all ever heard this? Some of y'all have. Some of y'all are laughing right now because y'all are weak. Um, so this is what an ego lift actually supposedly is. My kids accuse me of this occasionally. That you just pick up heavy things so that you feel better about yourself, right? I tell my kids, I tell all the kids, I don't pick up heavy things because I have to feel better about myself. I pick them up to make them feel worse about themselves. I mean, that's why I do it, right? But that's, that's not true. I pick this stuff up. Right? And I run, and I hate to run, and yet I still do it. Why? Because I'm regularly fighting back against the curse. Right? There's the, the, the curse of sin in my life is seeking to, to break my body and my health apart. I have a desire to pastor until I'm 70 years old. That's a goal that I have. I know that if I'm going to get there, I need to take care of my physical health. So I, I want to be able to like pick my grandkids up and do fun things with them. And so like these are opportunity this is how i say that i am needy of physical help I, and just in case y'all don't think that i can do this all on my own i married a woman who's willing to remind me regularly of my needs okay and so occasionally she looks at me she says you're kind of grumpy you're getting on all of our nerves it would probably be smart if you went outside and picked up something heavy or went somewhere and shot something loud, I need you to take care of you so you can take care of us. Y'all need a wife like that, by the way, who's willing to look at you and say, you have a need for something outside of yourself. You're broken and you regularly are in need of repair. By the way, men, if you've not become the kind of person on purpose that will allow others to tell you what you need to do to get right, you're not living as a spiritually poor person. You're living as a proud person. And the people around you can't help you get better because you're saying to the people around you that you can do, you can do good all by yourself. Shame on you. Anyway, we, this is why we exercise and, and all that other stuff because we say, I... Need help, all right? This is also why we do spiritual exercising. In other words, spiritual disciplines. Look, we show our need of Jesus by pursuing him and living according to his commandments and his expectations, right? And so we do that with things like spiritual disciplines. Um, we're going to talk with uh, our teenagers have got a conference coming up in a few weeks, and one of the big things they're going to talk about is this stuff. We talk with our kids and when I talk with adults, if any of you come to my office and you say, Pastor Craig, I'm, I'm really struggling I, I, with, you know, depression, anxiety, anything like that. Pastor Craig, I want to live this blessed, fulfilled Christian life. I'm going to tell you um, there's a handful of things you need to do. Pastor Adam likes to talk with our kids and calls it five plus one. Um, he just comes up with weird names. Uh, but I'm just going to tell you these are the things you need to do to find a relative degree of satisfaction and joy in your life. Number one is that you're going to read your Bible every single day. You're going to read your Bible every day. Look, when I read my Bible every day, I say, Lord Jesus, I need you to fill me up. And I'm not depending on these other things, right? So that's, that's one of those things. Like I just grabbed this. This is like spiritual exercise. And when I pick it up every morning, it begins to strengthen me spiritually. I want you to pray every single day. And when you do that in the morning, then you begin. And look, this is a heavy stuff, right? These things are like eight pounds or something, right? Your, your Bible reading, your prayer, it's not usually heavy lifting, it's usually just a little bit that you're doing, but that little bit that you're doing is beginning to build spiritual strength for you. 
The third thing that I'm going to encourage you to do is to be, be around the right kind of people, to be in the church, to regularly be among God's people. Because you're going to discover that as you spend time among God's people, they're going to begin reinforcing these things. Right? Now watch. Here's what gets really cool. Is that when I've read, this thing's heavy, um, when I've read my Bible and I've prayed in the morning, and then I kind of leave it alone, guess what happens? I don't leave it. It goes with me. It goes with him. It's this spiritual strength that I begin to carry. It's a spiritual burden that walks a journey with me throughout the day. It's, Paul calls it spiritual armor, right? We begin to put it on. And throughout the day, because I started my day with it, it's building that spiritual strength for me. And so it's, it's going with me, right? So if you'll focus first on reading your Bible, praying, and getting around the right kind of people, then there's a few other things that you can do that are going to help you to find fulfillment as you're trying to lean into Jesus. You're going to also acknowledge that, that the rest of you, your physical body, your physical life impacts your spiritual. I want you to eat the right things. And some of you are like, oh, great, here he goes. He's become one of those like health and wellness guys. We don't talk about gluttony because we're afraid of it. First 500 years of the church, gluttony was perhaps the most discussed sin by pastors. The church fathers, the desert fathers that, that really began what we now know of as monasticism, their greatest wrestle and struggle was with gluttony. Why? Because they understood that if we oversatisfied and oversatiated our physical desires, then we had no need for Jesus. We tended, and we still tend to, temper our spiritual hunger by oversatisfying ourselves physically, whether that be with food, right? Oversatisfying our sexual desires, with our materialism, right? So eat the right kind of things and be cognizant of that. Do that, right? And then I want you to sleep. You say, Craig, what's that have to do with anything to do with Christianity? God created you that way. We're going to look after Easter. We're going to actually have a few weeks. We're going to talk about rest and Sabbath rest and how important rest is in the Christian life. I mean, over and over and over, we're told to rest in the Lord. Some of y'all don't sleep. You can't figure out why you're anxious. You won't sleep. Why don't you sleep? Because you're too busy doing everything else. God has created you to need it. And when I close my eyes at night, do you know what I do? I say, Lord God... What's the prayer that you learned as a kid? Now I lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, pray the Lord my soul to take. Right? I'm a constant reminder that when I lay down and I close my eyes, I'm trusting. You know that when you sleep, you're paralyzed for part of the time. I'm trusting that when I'm asleep, that God is going to take care of everything. It's an act of faith. Right? It's a dependence. Okay? And then the other thing we encourage you to do is just get outside. And go for a walk. It's amazing how sunshine can help us. And look, you want to be like Jesus? He walked everywhere he went. So you go outside and go for a walk, just like Jesus did, okay? You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna find some great things. So you lean into Jesus. And, and as you're leaning into Jesus, you're going to discover that those acts of spiritual discipline are going to give you a deeper degree of joy in the Lord. The more you lean into Jesus, the more satisfaction you're going to find. And I've preached that for years and years and years. And it continues to be the truth. But I'm going to be honest with you. Some of you showed up today and you went, well, that's real, real good, Craig. But I've been doing all that in my life. It's still kind of miserable. So what do you have for me? 
You know, the truth of the matter is there are times when even my spiritual burdens, my spiritual disciplines, my spiritual efforts don't seem to be getting me to where I want to be. In the fall this year, I really wrestled with anxiety um, at, at, at a high level. It was, it was really difficult and frustrating. All, all the things, right? All the things that you all, many of you have experienced, I experienced. Struggle to sleep, lost appetite. Some of y'all overeat when you, you know, have that stuff. I don't. I, I quit eating. Like everything gets bad and awkward and uncomfortable. And, and so here's what I did because I'm your pastor and I know what the right thing to do is. Okay? First thing I did was I jumped right back in. I'm going to lean into Jesus. And so, boom, I, right back. I'm going to read more scripture. Well, that, that's not enough. So, so what I actually began to do was how can I lean into the Lord more? And so legitimately, I began to pile on even more things. I got busier because, hey, why wouldn't I get busier? So I add more spiritual weight to my bag. I began to add more things. I began to pray more diligently. And look, I didn't want to be around the people of God. Do you know that? I was tired of all of y'all. Nothing personal. But the things that had brought me joy were suddenly a burden. My prayers didn't seem to get through the ceiling. I read God's word, and look, it didn't feel like this anymore. It was like this. Because it was like it mocked me. I went to the, to the word, and I said, Lord, teach me something, help me. And I'd go to like Proverbs and say, cast your burdens on the Lord. And I'm like, that's what I'm trying to do. Don't you love it? Lord, I'm worrying. What do I need to do? And you run to Matthew. It's like, do not worry. Thanks. I know I'm in sin. I don't want to worry. I'm toting 800 pounds right now. What do you want me to do? Some of you showed up today. And life is really heavy. And you say, Pastor Craig, I've been trying. So what's next? Can I, can I tell you this? Sometimes when you've embraced your helplessness and you've leaned into Jesus, the only thing left to do is to wait for the Lord. To wait for the Lord. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. It's what I had to be reminded of this fall. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. That's the promise of God's word. I mean, I, and, and I was wrestling through it, right? Listen, I want to encourage you this morning. I want to encourage you to trust Jesus when you can't trust your heart. Because sometimes your heart will lead you astray. Look, I ran to Psalm 46 in these difficult days. And I want to read you three verses. He says, Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Look, I read that and I wanted to stop. I read it and I wanted more than anything to take my burdens to Jesus. I was mocked by 1 Peter 
First Peter says this, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. I said, well, God cares for me. So Lord, I need to get this stuff to you. And so I began trying. Remember, I'm reading more. I'm praying. I'm trying. And I began to gather it all up. And I said, Lord, I'm going to bring it. But here's the problem I ran into. I got as much as I could, but there was still a whole pile. And then what am I left with? I'm left with anxiety and worry and struggle. Struggling with bitterness and frustration. Which are the seeds of hatred. I couldn't get my burden there. And part of it's because I'd read part of 1 Peter. But I didn't finish He said, cast your anxieties because he cares for you. And then he goes on to verse 8. He says, be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Did you read that? Did you hear? It said that God would do that. But do you know that it was still like not working? So in the fall, my family and I went to Latvia, visit our missionary friends, the Talberts there. And it was, it was such a freeing thing for me. Like I, I got in an airplane and I left all of my worries at the airport. It was, I don't know why. It was great. Spent a week over there, didn't didn't worry about anything. It was wonderful. When I got back, all my worries were waiting on me. That's debilitating. But I had an experience while we were there. We were were out doing ministry in a park. And uh, so so basically we were trying to share the gospel and inviting people to this evangelistic concert. We'd split up into small groups. And so it was just me and Sloan, my youngest, and then Anna Kate, the, the Talbert's oldest girl, she was our translator. She was the smartest person there, so that was helpful for me because, you know, I couldn't figure out where I was. And so there we are in downtown Riga. And I, and I, and I realized that as we're working in this park that, you know, we're in a foreign country. We don't know the language. And so I just stopped, and I looked down at Sloan. I got down at his level, and I said, hey, pal, listen. I said, if we get separated, I'm not going to lose you, but if we were to get separated, I said, if you lose me, you're going to be tempted in that moment to look for me. You're going to panic. And and, and Sloan, when you panic, you're going to be tempted to run because you're just going to be trying to find me. I said, pal, listen, if you lose me, I need you to sit down. I need you to fight against all of your urges and your instincts and I need you to listen I will find you I just need you to trust me and wait and in that moment it was like the Lord said hey Craig what are you bringing to me hey Craig what are you suffering under 
Y'all look. Our worries, our burdens, our anxiety, our sin, our pride, they can certainly rob us of the privilege of finding freedom from our anxiety. But do you know that even in the good things I had begun to grow wealthy in my spirit and to be so confident that I knew all of the right answers to get all of the right things and I had the right formula. And so I was trying to take it to Jesus, but I couldn't quite get it there. And right in that moment, as I was speaking to my son, the Lord said, hey, moron. He doesn't speak to me that way. Do you know that? The devil calls you by your sin, but Jesus calls you by your name. He said, hey, son. You don't have to bring it to me. He said, if you'll just sit down, I'll find you. Listen to me, folks. Wait for the Lord. He will find you. He will not leave. It was the greatest gift that God gave me in the middle of those anxiety-filled days. I'd love to tell you that everything just miraculously and immediately got better. I told you my anxiety was waiting for me when I got back. But it was no longer debilitating. Because I knew, I knew that my Jesus would not leave me. How could I be so confident? Because he's promised us multiple times in his word, beginning all the way back in the book of Deuteronomy, I will neither leave you nor forsake you. He said to his disciples when he went away, he said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will send the Holy Spirit to be with you. He said to his disciples, I no longer call you Sir, your friends. I was trying to get all this to Jesus. And the entire time, I was running in circles and he was just going, sit down and wait. So in conclusion, who are the poor in spirit? Well, in all honesty, we all are, but the question is how many of us are willing to admit it? See, like, in, in a room this size, there are some of you who have come in here today and you've never actually given your life to Jesus. Oh, you've convinced a lot of people. You show up at church every week or every other week or once a month or whatever it takes. But you've never actually surrendered your heart. Oh, you're too prideful 
too proud to let your wife, your husband, your child, your parent to see. Some of you are so afraid that somebody's going to know that that decision you made years ago wasn't real. And, and, and you're terrified that if you come to Jesus today that somebody's going to have a lot of questions about what happened in the past. It's an amazing thing. I'm not too worried about what happened then. I'm just eager and excited about what Jesus is going to do with you from now on. All of the Beatitudes hinge on this one. The poor in spirit. So who are the poor? You are. Are you willing to live like it? Are you willing to acknowledge it? Are you ready to be honest? If you don't know the Lord today, please stop toting this stuff around like you got it all figured out. Give your heart to Jesus today. But if you belong to the Lord, I'm just curious. Are you willing to wait on him? Are you willing to trust him? Are you willing to trust him more than you trust your own heart, your own gut, your own experiences? In just a minute, our praise team is going to come and they're going to sing. If you're ready today and willing to step out and give your heart to Jesus, I'll be right there, eager to celebrate with you. If today you need to come, leave a burden at this altar in prayer, I invite you to. <laughs> but some of you are like, well, Craig, <laughs> I can't get it there. Some of you say, I left all of that home and it's waiting for me when I get back. Then I invite you to come and pray today because I'm going to make you this promise. If you'll ask him, Jesus will be waiting for you when you get there. This morning, who are the poor in spirit? All of us who have trusted Jesus. Will you trust him today? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we love you, praise you. Thank you so much for loving us. Thank you, God, that Jesus is enough, that he meets us where we are, Lord God, that he comes and finds us. Lord God, that he's willing even to seek us out when we don't want to be found. Father, I pray that there's one today that needs to be found, that today could be the day. Father God, they'd be willing to give up and trust you. Move among us in Jesus' name.